Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this as well. As uh, It sounds like from hearing uh, about Shining Star that there's really uh, a desire among leadership, and I'm guessing representing the church to try to be a church that's um, available and open to people of all cultures, and I think that's tremendous. Uh, it's exciting. So I want to talk a little bit of what that looks like. Uh, just before I do that, just introduce our church a little bit. So uh, I was sharing with uh, my lunch buddies today. We are coming up on 10 years as a church uh, this September. So God has been very faithful. Um, I would say from the beginning, even before we started the church, at least for me, my desire was to be part of a church. Um, and the hero is my mentality. Back in churches I used to be, fantastic churches, um, we would always talk about evangelism and invite your neighbor, invite your friends, bring them to church, which you know I, I think we would took seriously. But then the one challenge I used to feel is, Man, you know, I think our church does things great. Like, our singing is great, prayer, worship, sermons. But man, a lot of the people I would think of inviting, if they're not Asian, it would feel challenging coming to our church setting where predominantly, we were predominantly Asian, Asian-American. Um, I don't think that means people can't enter the community, because if you're Asian, the reality in America, you're, all, you're often having to go in settings that are not like representative of you. So I don't think it's bad for people to cross different cultures. But at least from our majority culture perspective, we wanted to see how we could do that. But I personally found it challenging. So when I had the ability to be part of a team to start this new church, The Village, our goal was, like, how can we be a church then that can try to reach as many different uh, ethnicities but also, not when, so we call ourselves a multicultural church, not just multi-ethnic. So I believe there's, um, oftentimes people mean both, but multicultural, I believe, can be multi-ethnic, but not every multi-ethnic is necessarily multicultural because people can be of different uh, ethnicities and sometimes be very similar to one another. Um, but for our church, I would say, um, when we say multicultural, we're also talking about the people from our neighborhood in Baltimore and the people who are transplants, which are two very different tribes of people. So people from our neighborhood tend to be a little bit more blue collar, um, a lot a lot more uh, challenges that you would associate with inner city, um, America, Baltimore. Um, I would say almost every family in our, in our neighborhood has issues with drug addiction and broken families in some sense. So that's a very different culture than uh, a white person in our church who's White, I mean, so, we, and this is a funny story. The neighborhood that we started the church in, if 20, 30 years ago, if you were African-American in Baltimore, you don't go through our neighborhood because you get thrown off like a bridge. It was like, in Baltimore City, it was one of the more white neighborhoods. So when people ask me where we can start the church, I'm like, oh, we're praying about Hamden. They're like, looking at me like I'm a moron. Like, you know, that's like a real, like, kind of white neighborhood. I'm like, well, it needs Jesus, right? So we started there. But God's really been doing a lot of great work in that. Um, but so in our neighborhood, though, which was predominantly blue collar, white, some people very racist, that's a different culture than even white people in our church who might look white, look similar, but it's different. So all to say, we're a multicultural church. Um, but when we first started, it was a team of 11 of us, including my wife and I. My wife is uh, also Korean American, and the rest of our group, they were all Anglo. Uh, I think that's the polite term to say white, but they were all Anglo. Um, I don't know why I expected that we would go beyond that culturally, but for about, I would say, a good two years or so, we were still predominantly white with like a few other different folks representing ethnicity. So 
that, that was a good part of our journey for many years. And only until about four, five, maybe four or five years ago now, we've really started to see a representation of different cultures in the church, particularly uh, Asian and Asian Americans. So uh, right now, if I broke down ethnically, we're probably about maybe 40, 45% white, 40, 45% Asian, Asian American, about 10, 15% African American, and then my math is bad. So whatever, like uh, other, other, other people groups represented there. So it's exciting to see that. And then obviously also representing different cultures socioeconomically, uh, demographically, educationally. Probably the biggest thing we don't have too much of is generational diversity. We're still trying to work a little bit on that. Um, but all, all to say that, I think sometimes when people look at our church now, um, they can say, wow, it's really like, it feels very different and diverse in here. But for people to recognize it, it wasn't always like that, but there were some things that we planted in our DNA from the very beginning that eventually helped us to grow into that. It wasn't something that just kind of happened on its own or just um, it, it took some planning and purposeful direction. So um, I want to talk a little bit about some of that here. I want to give a caveat, though, before I say anything else. I am not an opponent of mono-ethnic churches. What I mean by that. Sometimes folks who are really passionate about multi-ethnic, multicultural ministry really dog the ethnic church. Like looking at the ethnic church saying, oh, this is not biblical. Where's Revelation 7-9 here? There's no, this, this is not a picture of the kingdom. This is insular. This is, um, this is like building. I, I don't think that's the case if there are disciples being made. And I think the reality is in America, sometimes you need spaces for the all-black church the all-Asian church, because you have a lot of people that don't, might not feel safe in other spaces. And I, I have some tremendous friends who are African-American pastors. They've told me very clearly, we're not trying to reach anyone else. We're okay, because in America, it can feel like not the safest space even to go into an evangelical, predominantly white church. As friendly as it might be, it doesn't feel like always the safest space. So we want to create a space um, that's specific to issues for, say, African-Americans and a lot of Asian-Americans I know. As much as you're born here, you're, you're culturally American, sometimes it's hard to all also fully be you. So I think sometimes churches that are more mono-ethnic in perspective, if there's intentionality, I'm, I don't think that's like the wrong thing. But I do believe, obviously, there's value in the multicultural church. I mean, I'm a big proponent of that, and I want to talk about that. And, and here's where I want to start from that. The idea of reconciliation is part of God's redemptive plan. That reconciliation is part of God's redemptive plan. Here's why I say that. Um, when we talk about things like diversity, this is not us just trying to be more hip and cool. This is not us trying to be more like uh, modern, postmodern, like cool to society. And, you know, wow, everyone else is growing more diverse. The church better be like that, too. Uh, I don't think the church's role is to always just mirror what's happening in culture because a lot of what happens in culture is kind of jacked up. If that's what's driving us, we will go back and forth on whatever is popular in the day. We want to be really clear. This is not what we're talking about because um, if I write things about diversity and multicultural church, if I've spoken on it, um, you know what the thing is? When I preach, people are usually pretty happy. Well, most people are pretty happy. But when I talk about issues of diversity and multiculturalism, I get like hate mail. I get like people who are angry, who call me like a cultural Marxist and say, I'm the problem with what's, I'm the problem in America right now and leading to division. And 
I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're like, yeah, you know, I've had people say, man, I'm so sorry for your church. They don't have a pastor who believes in the Bible and things like that. And I, so I'm really, I want to be really clear. What we talk about here is not just culturally reflective, but what we believe is really led by the scriptures, led by God's redemptive plan. So I want to spend a few minutes first engaging into a brief storyline of some of what we see here. Um, because we want to see that this has part, been part of God's plan from the very beginning. And, and, you know, from the beginning, we have Adam and Eve. And we see that Adam and Eve, you guys know these stories, right? They were born into perfection, but they chose to rebel against God and his word. And, and we, we understand that they were broken individually. They were broken between them and God. But we also have to recognize when brokenness entered the world, it was also systemic. That the vertical relationship with God was shattered. And you, we, we know that well. But the horizontal relationship between humankind was also shattered. And we believe the seeds of racism, division, were born there as well. Why do people fight? Why do, pe- why do we have things like white supremacy? Why do I- um, yeah, people are jacked up. But it's sin. It's a sin problem. Uh, but in the midst of God, uh, humanity's worst moment of separation from God, when everything was broken, God makes a promise. And we see in Genesis 3, 15, this is God's promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his, bruise his heel. And God is putting punishment and judgment upon the serpent who represents Satan and his dominion of evil. So usually in a good story, you don't give away the ending, right? If you write a book, you, tell, you don't give away the ending. But here, God gives the ending right away. That this story of redemption, of a broken creation, it, it's the very best story. But God makes it really clear. There's going to be no twist. There's going to be no like surprise ending. From the very beginning, God says who's won already. There is no question who wins this story. God pronounces judgment on Satan right from the very beginning. And this verse... It's God's promise of this Redeemer, and his name is Jesus, that he would deliver his people one day by being bruised himself on that tree, on that cross, and crush the head of Satan in resurrection, and he would defeat Satan, sin, and death. God wins. Amen? There is no drama here in some sense. Right from the very beginning, it's clear who wins. And the rest of the Bible then tells us the story of how that plays out. So Genesis 12, 3, we skip ahead a little. It says, I will bless those. And God is talking to Abram, Abraham, eventually. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God starts with this covenant with Abraham. And it starts with one man. But if you see here, it never ends with the one man. His plan is for this gift of redemption to extend to all the families of the earth. This is meant to extend to all people groups eventually. That's the promise of the gospel. And these promises become even clearer. Look at with me, uh, Genesis 18. In verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Again, God's promised to Abraham, yo, you're going to be the daddy of a big nation. This na- my people are going to come from your seed. It's going to be epic. It's going to be great. But you are going to be blessed so that um, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. And all the nations of the earth means people of different tribes, people of different melanin in their skin, people of different cultural backgrounds. 
people of different family histories, they're all going to be blessed by God's promises through his people Israel. Eventually, the story introduces us to the hero of the story, Jesus. And we'll skip through Jesus' life and ministry, and not because it's inconsequential, it's all of it, but we want to hear, skip to Matthew 28, 19. And this is Jesus giving his, his uh, command, this commission. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we see Jesus here being very clear. Hey, guys, I have brought life into this world. Where there was only death, I have brought life and life abundant. And you will experience this life. Now go, share that with others. Like Pastor was saying to us this morning, it's never meant to stay with us. It's always meant to go outward. But here, see his emphasis. So it's just ultra clear. Make disciples of who? All nations. This is never meant to be a tribal thing. It's meant to go, starting here, but going out to all nations, this redemption. And then the book of Acts, after Jesus has equipped his followers, the book of Acts shows how the disciples, they obey this great commission, and they begin to proclaim the gospel to all nations. And Peter, we hear this wonderful story of Peter, good Jewish man, good, knows the law, good teacher, good follower, but even he has something to learn. And Peter has a vision and goes to the house of this man named Cornelius, Cornelius, who was not Jewish, he was Gentile. He was a Roman centurion. He was an officer of the Roman army. And we read what happened there in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, remember, he had these dreams, right? He had these dreams, and then he met Cornelius. And it says, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for you and I, that's just kind of like, duh. <laughs> Come on, Peter, get with the. This was radical. This was, this was radical to know that God's favor was not on just this one particular tribe of people, this one ethnic group, but it was meant to be shared amongst all people groups. It was shocking to Peter, but it was revolutionary for the church. And then a few chapters later in Acts 13, Barnabas and Paul. They're commissioned by the church at Antioch as missionaries to the Gentiles. Very purposeful. And we read there at the beginning of this church, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And usually, I don't know, when you read descriptions of people in the Bible, if you're like me, I used to kind of just like skip over it. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to read a phone book. What's this? Uh, but it's very significant. It's really significant here because what we see here is that the leaders of this Antiochian church, there was ethnic diversity. The reason, there's a reason we have this man, Simeon, and they say where he's from, Niger. They're saying there was a man with dark skin leading this church. That wasn't a normal thing. We see Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. You've got rich people there. You've got probably people who are not as rich. You've got people of different ethnicities. You've got people of different cultures. They're leading this church. Antioch was the first multicultural church and was equipped to be missionaries sending out to the known world at the time so that this gospel, this good news, would become good news to everyone, regardless of your culture you were invited into this family. And we see a description of this family in 1 Corinthians 12, 
verses 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And, you know, when we talk about diversity in the church, sometimes like these things, we usually talk about like spiritual gifts, like passages like this, which I think is very appropriate. And kind of we talk, some of you are really good administratively. And some of you, you love numbers. And some of you, you have a voice that God's blessed with you to sing. And some of you just love children. And some of you are called to preach. And isn't it amazing when we bring all that together to be the unified body? I think that's very true. But I think that's a real small picture as well. Because sometimes what we lose sight of, this is not just talking even about the individual local church, which I think is relevant, but it's talking about the larger church of Christ. It's saying this amazing thing has happened, that where sin entered the world and divided us along all these different lines, now the Spirit of God has said, you're one. You're one. All the lines that humans have used to divide us, now that's, that's broken apart. doesn't mean it's not there. But even with those different divisions, we are now one because of this unifying spirit of Christ. And what this does, and we've definitely seen this in our church, the diversity of the different members of the body, it allows us a fuller, truer glimpse of the whole body. I would suggest the more diversity we have amongst us, it allows us to be able to understand God in ways that we probably wouldn't be able to if we were all pretty similar ethnically and culturally. I mean, we've seen that in our church. Um, you know what's the, one of the biggest blessings in our church personally? It's our folks who the world would consider poor. People who are on assistance, people who have to um, pretty much exist on food stamps, government assistance just to eat. Because I tend to still associate comfort and material blessing with God's favor. But when part of your church is like literally just trying to make it and understand, ask even where, how are we going to eat dinner tonight? And they have to share that sometimes because a body works together. Um, but then they still, but I still praise God in the midst of this. They teach me something about God that I wouldn't know if we were all pretty similar in how we view things. It's, it's, just, it's just a blessing to be able to understand God more because of the diversity of his church. And finally, in Revelation the Apostle John uh, has a vision of the heavenly courts to come. Revelation 5.9 says, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and talking about Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And I just get shivers when I read that. Like I get shivers imagining what that's going to look like one day. And then Revelation 7, 9, epic. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. <sighs> isn't that amazing? Isn't that, isn't that like... So some of the criticism I get sometimes is like, yo... People are you. You are so divisive for the Christian church because we're meant to be one. And if we stop right there, I'm like, oh, I totally agree with you. We are meant to be one. God is colorblind. He doesn't see those things anymore. I'm like, mm, nah, I'm not sure about that. 
Because when I look at like the culmination of who we are and we're bowing before God, it seems that it's still pretty apparent who's representing different tribes and tongues and nations. It seems like it's still pretty apparent um, who's doing it. Like, and that's the glory of it, that people from all of these different nations and cultures and ethnicities, they're all commonly robed in white, bowing down, worshiping before God. Yes, we are one, but we are still gloriously representing God in the different multifaceted beauty of who he is. I try not to get too feisty with people, but just a little bit, just a little bit. But when Jesus returns in glory, what we see is that the promise that was made back in Genesis 3.15 is now fulfilled. That this full number of the elect of God will be gathered together in worship, and it's going to be a gathering made up of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And guys, this is the fulfillment of God's promise to make everything that's been broken right again. Part of brokenness is not just that you disobey God. That's part of the brokenness. That's part of the fall. But sometimes we stay a little too personally focused. It's not just we will be made into a fully fledged worshiper of God, but it's that we as a people will be finally made into who we were meant to be. That when sin entered the world and shattered the relationship with God, it also shattered the relationship with one another. But now God will bring us all back together as a worshiping people. Amen? I mean, that gives me hope, especially now when our world is so jacked up. <laughs> that gives me hope that God has a plan and we're moving towards it. Because we got to be, and the reason why we just did that blitz through the Bible is we got to be really clear. Diversity in the church, it's not about cultural trendiness. And when I, when I sometimes coach churches that are wanting to make these steps, I want to make really clear to them, hey, guys, don't make like your number one value in the church be diversity. Because I think if like your main value is diversity, that can go a little wonky. If, if you're willing to sacrifice what you know about God and what the scriptures say just so you can be diverse, you can be diverse and be like very unbiblical. But because this is not um, a study about advanced like secular sociology, this is God's glorious plan. This is a biblical picture of redemption from Genesis to Revelation where one day we'll be seeing it fully in perfection but the thing is, until that day, what we get to do as the church is we get to seek to reflect the big heart of God for all peoples in diversity. Um, so on that note, I want, I want to say this, and I hope this encourages you. I believe that there is room for every single church to grow to be a more welcoming community for anyone. I believe that, and I believe well, we're going to talk about some of the things with that. But, and this is something I've had to challenge some people, especially I got some really well-meaning uh, friends who are pastors, who their churches, I'll use, for example, like almost all white, and they'll come to me like, man, I just, I want our church to be more diverse. I want us to be more reflective. I want, and I'm like, that's great. But you know, maybe right now, one of the best things God is going to teach your church is, why does it have to be your church specifically? Maybe you can partner with other churches that are different culturally than yours. And maybe this is going to pull you out from just focusing on your church and maybe go support a church in different neighborhoods of your city that maybe culturally are different than you and be the larger body together. And I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, strive for it in our own particular churches, but sometimes we're so small-minded. Like, everything is about our church. But, like, for us, 
like when I was describing a few years ago when we were probably not visibly as diverse, one of the best things we did was just partner together with other churches in our, in our city, do conferences together, pray together, pastors pray together, fellowship together, serve one another, do missions projects in the city together, and it's a way to display even the diversity of God's kingdom, even if it didn't look like that all the time at our Sunday worship, for instance. But those were some steps we take. So having all said that, here's some practical considerations to think about, Uh, maybe even for Shining Stars, you guys are committed to this church and thinking about what this looks like in a church um, where you're at and some of the steps you might be thinking Um, one thing I would encourage, like oftentimes we want a multicultural church, which is great. I think that's, that's cool. Um, but we kind of like want to jumpstart to there and say, how does our worship look more diverse? Which is, which is good. But I always encourage people, uh, a multicultural church has to start with a multicultural life. So it's, it's a little naive to think suddenly, hey, yeah, you know what? I want to I wanna worship in a church that's really representative of all cultures. And then I'll say, well, what does your life look like on a day-to-day basis? Uh, I, 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 and that's not to condemn. I mean, you got your friends. You got, but it, it's a little unrealistic to say, yeah, I want a church for all peoples. But then if you look at your own life and it's very homogenous in focus. So I would su- suggest... Um, that our Mondays through Saturdays, they have to reflect what we desire on our Sunday mornings at 10 or whenever you worship. And, and, wh- and what I mean by that is don't be weird and go to people of different cultures and say, hey, can you be my friend? Because I, that's, that's just strange. I've had people actually do that to me. Like it, it's the worst when I'm at a conference and it's like predominantly white, for instance, and they're like, and they're like, all right, everyone get up, and I want you to go say hi to someone that's from a different place than you. And I'm like, oh, I know they're all going to come say hi to me now. I, like, let's not be weird about it. But I think there is some intentionality we can make about our friendships. And I guess I'm talking predominantly to Asian Americans here. Um, the reality is we can kind of live in these bubbles. We can kind of live in the bubbles, and we work with people probably representative of a lot of different cultures. We go to school representative of people, many different cultures, and yet we look at who we choose to spend majority of our time with. And this is not meant to be a condemning thing, but if you are serious that I want my church community to represent a broader, uh, it probably has to start with some of our lives individually. Does that make sense? It's like weird to think that suddenly we jump to church and that happens there. Um, and, and I'll be, I'll be really honest, even in our church. Um, so I noticed this a couple years ago. We were getting to a place where we were ethnically very diverse in a Sunday morning. I mean, it was glorious. It was fun. You know, I loved it. But then I talked to one of our pastors who leads our small group ministry. I was like, how are our small groups doing? He's like, yeah, they're doing pretty good. But it's really weird because one of our small groups is like all Asian. One of our small groups is all white. One of our small groups is like all neighborhood people. I'm like, Okay, something's a little off about that. (laughs) It's a little, um, and what it reminded me is that it's actually not that hard to have a diverse gathering. Like, I think that's actually not that difficult. Like, say, a Sunday service. Because you don't don't need God to do that. You go to a Redskins game. Probably one of the, are we allowed to still say Redskins? Or is that not? I don't know. The team of, um, I don't know, whatever. Like, you go to a sporting event. It's very diverse. You can gather people of different ethnicities together. You don't need Jesus to do that. 
So I think sometimes we have to be careful that we just have these surface levels of diversity and say, oh, look at we're a reconciled people. I think it's got to go to the deeper areas of who are you walking with? Um, one professor I heard, he just, he was great. You probably have heard that quote that in Sunday, uh, Sunday mornings in America are the most segregated time of the week. I think Dr. Martin Luther King said that. He said, I don't disagree with that, but what I would suggest now, the most segregated time of the time of the week in America is Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. dinner time. Like what he was saying is, um, we can become very diverse in large settings, but who we're actually breaking bread with together? Who are we spending our real personal time together? Who's in our homes? Who are we opening up our neighbors to? Who are the times that we go out together and share our personal? That's probably more representative of our desire to be a people of all nations and cultures. Who we break bread with is significant. So this was a challenge I put before our church. I'm like, y'all, I know some of you get really excited to come here on Sundays and you see different people and you're like, wow, this is great. I'm like, but who do you live life with? Who do you walk together with? Because it's just too easy to come on Sunday and look and say, oh, wow, look how different we are. And you don't even know who they are. You got to share your life with people as well. So I think that's a pretty significant aspect that we've got to consider in these journeys for the church. Um, another thing, it, the journey towards being a multicultural church, it really requires that we increasingly die to ourselves. You're like, wow, this is a real cheery message. Yeah, we got to die. <laughs> we got to die to ourselves and to our preferences. And um, at the little bit I've gotten to know of Shining Star, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm positive you're not this kind of church because, I mean, your pastor talking about a sacrifice and following. Man, you're, you're all about like being sold out. I love that. Um, so what we can do, we can look at churches that are a little bit more glitzy, and we call them like consumeristic kind of churches where it's like a big show and like say, oh man, they're just selling stuff. That's why people go there. They're just selling a product. And I would probably agree in some sense, but we've also got to be kind of humble and recognize um, we all have certain consumeristic tendencies. We all have certain things that we want our churches to be. And there, I want to say there's some things that you should want your church to be that are very good, like doctrinal orthodoxy. Don't waver on that. Really good. Do they preach the Bible? Do they pray? Is there integrity? It, those things are really important. Um, but I would say one of the biggest challenges for churches that genuinely, that are more homogenous, that genuinely want to make a shift towards multi, more multiculturalism, is that the people ultimately don't want to die to their preferences. If we're being honest, we like things the way they are. That's why we're there. <laughs> I mean, think about what brought you here. Probably a lot of it's because you like it. You like the way that it is. And I'm going to suggest for us to broaden sometimes um, the church to other cultures. It might require the people of the church dying to things that you've gotten very comfortable with, that you like. Um, this is probably one of, I don't know if it's funny or not. I think it's funny, but uh, the church I was back in Philadelphia, we were, um, we were like an English ministry originally of a Korean church. But, I mean, there was no Korean spoken there. It was pretty much an American church at the point, except... 95% of the people were Asian-American. Um, and it was a great church, but there were serious conversations that we were saying, yo, why do we, we're not a Korean church. We're not even an Asian church. We should, we should be able to reach so many more people. We've got to take some real steps. And one of the biggest steps that was suggested is, um, and I, after church for fellowship, it was, it was wonderful, actually. There were these noodles. 
um, the Korean congregation, they would make these tremendous bowls of noodles, and you would come, drop off a dollar, and then take a noodles, and everyone would eat those for fellowship. It was great. I actually, I thought it was wonderful. Probably now it would be really attractive cross-culturally because everyone eats noodles, right? But back then, it was a little more Asian feeling. And someone suggested, yo, if we're going to reach beyond Asian peoples, we probably got to get rid of our noodles because we can say we're not an Asian church, but then you go downstairs for fellowship and there's chopsticks and noodles. <laughs> you would, maybe you wouldn't be shocked, but maybe you would be shocked at the uproar we experienced in the church. People are like, oh, you're not getting rid of my noodles. Why, why do you got to get rid of my, I love, that's why I come to this church because of the noodles. <laughs> why? Why, you're not getting, why, why do I have to change? That, that's something you're, why do I have to change? I've got to change in every other, every other area of my life. I've got to accommodate everyone else. Why do I need to change? And I was like, well, you don't. But this is kind of revealing what's more important to you in the church. Your noodles? <laughs> or maybe some people that might feel like, oh, this is only a place for Asians. Now, they, they don't talk in Asian languages, but it's, the markers are kind of clear here. So, again, I, I, I'm not saying the issue is noodles. Again, today, that would probably be a really, like, savvy move to do in a church. You would draw in probably people who don't even like Jesus because you got noodles. But um, I'm, I'm saying there are some things in our churches that we just take for granted are normal, and we've got to ask for us to reach beyond our own cultural limits, sometimes we've got to ask, are there certain things the way we do it that say markers to other people? It's not that you're not welcome here, but you're going to have to take some steps to be here. But I think the challenge for us, if we take seriously the call of discipleship, I don't think Jesus ever says, follow me so I can make your life easier. He says, follow me and be like your master and die. <laughs> Because all life comes through death. All life comes through death. And sometimes I think it's upon the majority culture. And in this church, I mean, it would be Asian American, right? Sometimes you have to ask, what are things as, as the majority culture in our church that we will own that maybe we need to learn to die to this a little bit? Again, don't take core values of who you are. Don't lose, like, core aspects that make this spe church special. But what are some things that we can possibly be considering that are making it more difficult for someone to feel comfortable here? Um, we use this number, and I've ripped this off from somewhere so many times. I can't remember who I originally uh, heard this from, so forgive me. I'm attributing to someone out there in the blogosphere. But um, one good kind of way to understand is in a church that's a little bit more diverse, there should be a sense of about 75%. Like 75%, you should look at your church. I'm not talking about like core doctrinal things. Like don't choose like two-thirds of the Trinity or something. Yeah, core doctrinal things stay there, right? But there should be a sense in our church, wow, you know, like more preferential kind of like even important stuff. There's about 75% of the things I just love the way we do it. Man, this is like exact. If I could make a church, this is how I would do it. About three quarters of the stuff. But then there's probably about 25% of the things that, mm, it's not like I hate this, or maybe I do, but I wouldn't do it this way. Oh, this is not really speaking to me. Because if it's getting too close to like 100%, there's a chance that the group is very homogenous and everyone just agrees exactly. This is the way we like to do it because it speaks to who we are. If it's too low, if it's like 25% that you really like, you probably shouldn't be at that church because you just don't like the church. 
But 75% is like, there's enough here that we are really fully in sync with. We love it. This is us. This is our community. But then there's some of it. It's like, yeah, you know what? I don't sing that song that way. Ooh, that's a little different. But then you look down the aisle and you see a person from another culture. You're like, you see them caught with God. You're like, oh, okay. This is not just about me. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is not in my sweet spot. It's not, I don't hate it, but oh, look at him. He, this is speaking to him because we represent different cultures here. And there's got to be sort of a dying process to how we view, uh, again, more preferential or stylistic things, I think even more than anything. But the reality, um, if you're in a multicultural church or you want to take those steps, you will struggle with feeling like your needs are not being met. And I'm, I'll say this for Shining Star, as predominantly Asian-American, um, if you do take these steps, you will probably struggle with, man, I kind of miss when I felt like it was totally speaking to me, the way we prayed, the way we do worship, the way we do fellowship. I felt like I was just at home, and now it's feeling a little different. That might not be altogether the worst thing, because that might be saying we're opening the doors for more people. We're trying to involve more peoples here. And, and I'm going to suggest uh, also as well, I think that's how we grow. Church sometimes can be a little too comfortable. Um, but I think one of the ways we grow is that you're part of a community where everything is not always about you. Like intentionally, some things are done in this church, and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't like that. That's, and, and that's good because that forces you to your face to pray and to say, Jesus, I'm not as sacrificial as I thought I was. Jesus, I love my noodles. Jesus, I don't want things to change too much. Jesus, I actually like things the way that, that meets my needs. And what that does, that brings you to your Savior who reminds you of his cost, his sacrifice. He died to himself so that we could have life. And it shows us we actually can't die to ourselves. That's why we need Jesus. And it just keeps us bringing back. When things are hard, when they're not comfortable, that's a great way to keep being invited back to the grace of God because it shows you you're not that good. You're not that loving. You don't love other cultures that much. You like things the way they are, but this is why you need Jesus because he will transform your heart more and more and invites us back to him. But um, I, think, I think it's been very, like, so I'll give a practical example from our church. Um, one of the real challenges, and you wouldn't even think this is a challenge, is how do we do our free time? How do we play? Because as our church has grown, um, I would say, more and more professionals, people, when they hang out, they like to spend money. Yeah, it's just reality. It's like, where are we going to eat? Oh, there's that cool new restaurant on the avenue. Let's go there. I heard great stuff about it on Yelp, um, which is fine. I'm, I'm a big fan of food. You know, I pr probably include too many references to food when I preach because I love food. It's good. I think we should enjoy God's good gifts. But what we've started to tell our church is be really careful because hey, you, when, you, when you go play and you say, hey, this is a church activity, um, there's some people, they're struggling to eat that night. And when they see you going to spend 30, 40, 50, and you know, some of you go way beyond that on one meal, there are divisions that are caused there that sometimes we don't think about. We just live in a privileged world. Well, that's just normal. I've worked hard to do this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. Don't, don't not enjoy what you have. But being part of a multicultural church, especially among socioeconomic diversity, you've got to recognize, am I, am I living in a way that's kind of preventing other people to walk together? 
So um, I've told some of our coffee snobs in church, you know, sometimes when you have coffee, you might need to go to like the 7-Eleven <laughs> and have coffee there together. Um, I, <laughs> this, and you know, I talk about coffee. I remember um, one of the men who in our church who was, um, he, he lived on our block, big biker guy, like scariest guy you would meet, big, hairy, biker-looking man. And I was just frightened by him, honestly, when I would walk by him in the neighborhood. But then I felt God saying, no, go talk to him. I'm like, no, God, not him. It's going to hurt me. No, go talk to him. So I remember one East before Easter, I went and invited him and his whole family, and they all came to church. They all got saved, and they started walking with church. Just amazing stuff. And I remember following that. I wanted to do some follow-up with him, so I invited him to my place to have some coffee. I was like, you want some coffee? He said, yeah, I love coffee. So he came over, big, like burly, looked like Grizzly Adams type, right? He's sitting in our house. I was like, hey, well, I'm going to make some coffee. I pull out my coffee grinder and my coffee press, and I start. He's like, whoa, what's that? Well, I'm, this is really good coffee here. It's like Jamaican black. I'm, I'm making a coffee. Like, no, 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 no. I, I want my Maxwell house. I, I don't like that fancy stuff. And it was like a light bulb clicking in my head. I'm like, wow. In my mind, I'm being hospitable and welcoming and trying to pull out my best. For him, I'm bringing up a wall to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to intimidate you with stuff you don't know. Have you ever gone to a restaurant in a foreign language? You just don't know what you're supposed to order. For some of us, you get excited, but it's really intimidating. And I would say for some cultures, when they enter our churches, it can feel like that, the way that things are just normal. Sometimes we're not even thinking because it's just normal. But that was just a great exercise for me to recognize, wow, some of the things that I think are just the way we do it, it can cause some people to feel like I don't belong here as well. And it was, so I just started having a lot of coffee meetings at Royal Farms and place like that, even though, honestly, that's not my favorite coffee, but it's okay because you're putting yourself on common ground. Um, another great example, and this, again, a little bit more about socioeconomic diversity, but I think that's actually important. Um, for a while, we had small groups at our church, and, you know, among folks who are, like, kind of transplants to Baltimore, like young adults, semi-middle class, semi-educated, they would go to people's house because we would say, small group is all about going in one another's houses and get out of the building and be family together and have hospitality, which is all great. But then I started to realize, man, no one from our neighborhood is going to small groups. Or if they would, they would try. So I finally asked one guy, I was like, yo, how come no one from the neighborhood is going to groups? He's like, they don't want to go into someone's house that they don't know. They don't know, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I want them to go into your house because they might not know how to behave. They, they feel intimidated to go into some people's houses and see how much things people have. They don't, they don't know how they're supposed to. So he, he said, you know what? If you started a meeting at church, that would actually probably do really well. I'm like, really? Because every book I'm reading by the experts says, move out of the church. No one wants to meet in a church anymore. He's like, well, let's see. So we started a Wednesday night Bible study at church. Um, God had to kill my pride. Because we didn't do like your normal Bible studies. We found this video curriculum that tells these stories. And I had committed in my mind saying, I'm never going to be one of those shallow guys that does video and like skits. That's just lame. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to study like theology. And God broke me and said, let's use these videos. And it was great. We had some food. People start coming from the neighborhood. Because they were, it was like entertaining, but it was teaching deep scriptural truths. And it was a good lesson for me. Yo, you got a lot of pride. You got a lot of pride on what you think is the way you should do it. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have values, but 
What I am saying is we need to evaluate what we're doing and what's the grid through which we're doing ministry. Is it really purely justified by this is the biblical way? Or if we desire to reach people of other cultures, do we need to maybe change some things? Um, I'll, I'll give another example. And I think we can, I can say this. Um, I, can, I can speak the truthfully because our church is doing well musically. But for a while, um, honestly, our music was really good, I think. But it, because of our leadership and because we were predominantly white church, our music sounded like, I don't know how to describe it, like rockabilly, kind of like um, folk kind of, I don't, I don't know how you do like indie kind of stuff. Very hipsterish. And um, uh, this is such a embarrassing confession. It was the church I started, but I'd be sitting there sometimes during music and go, I can't worship like this. This doesn't feel like worship to me. I know God is present, but it, this music's not helping me to experience it. But I looked over, and there would be a whole groups of people that the music was the main reason they were in the church. And they loved it. They were like, I haven't heard music like this in a church. This is beautiful. My soul is connecting with God. And God was reminding me, you know, some things that I hold as ultimate, we have to ask, is this preventing us sometimes from reaching across cultures? But the reason I share that in our church, I also had to challenge our white folk and say, hey, one of the reasons why our church has a little challenge reaching across cultures is our music feels really white. It feels really like, like you'd go to a bar some night and listen. I mean, it's good. Um, but we, and so we, we purposely tried to change our music into a little bit more, almost more like a contemporary Hillsong kind of thing because they show that that kind of music actually can reach across a lot of different, it's kind of actually how you're doing here. So we've moved in that direction, and I don't think it's an accident that we've actually started to reach a much broader cultural base. So I'm saying this is not just me telling other churches. We are constantly doing that for our own church, asking what are some things and the ways we're doing it that we need to maybe die to ourselves for the sake of reaching more people. Um, one more thing I want to kind of mention here. I think for a church that's wanting to take these steps, you really got to press into issues of mercy and justice. Really got to press, and what I mean by mercy, when we say mercy, we're talking about ministry to the poor. Um, and justice, I think, makes sense to you guys. You know what justice is, biblical justice. So we have had to really engage in these issues. Um, I would, I'll, I'll use a very specific example. Um, you guys know that Baltimore has had some of its issues, and we've had some, a little, little bit of rioting going on at different periods in our history past few years ago. And when um, tragedy happened with Freddie, Freddie Gray a few years ago, um, and just the riots in our city. God just convicted us very, even though at that time we had very few African Americans in our church, but we need to speak on issues of um, some of the systemic racism that's prevalent in our city and in our nation. And I'll be real honest, when I would speak about issues like that, 90, probably 8% of our church, they would probably say, I'm not sure how this relates to me. I, I mean, I didn't walk in here and feel like I know God more in a, like a passionate sense from here. I learned some stuff. But what I would say is for us, if we want to really engage other people, we have to know the issues that are, and I'm not saying all white people are the same, all black people are the same, all Asian people are the same. Obviously, that's not the case. But in general, what are some things? So in our church, being in Baltimore, we have pressed heavily into um, the nature of 
black lives and what does that mean for the larger church? And as I, as I talk with African-American friends that I have who are honestly are like closer to me than their brothers, um, when you start to engage in issues of justice, you realize that the issues that other people struggle with, other people groups even, it might not be the same thing you do, but if we are gonna be a multicultural people, we take it on as if it's our own challenges and issues. And what that meant for me, uh, I went to a few meetings that we were just praying together and um, particularly after some of the tragedies with law enforcement and, and, and um, black youth, some young black men who lost their lives, just hearing mothers and fathers having to say, you know, what does it mean that I have to sit my preteen down and give them the talk? I'm like, what's the talk? How, what do you do if you're ever pulled over in a car? That talk about don't ever move your hands. Don't dare raise your hand. Don't look a certain way. Don't say a certain thing. And, you know, I'm just weeping because I'm like, I'm never going to have to have that talk with my kids. I'm not saying it's easy to grow up as Asian American in this country, but that's a challenge I'm never going to have to talk through with my kids but as a church then, as we try to lead our church in a multicultural, because what, what I'm saying, it's too easy. And I think the larger evangelical world, if I have to speak into it, this is my criticism. We all want a diverse worship. We all want diverse peoples in our churches, but we don't want to engage in the issues that different people groups are wrestling with. And that's a problem because what that does, that marginalizes minorities in church. It's like, if you go into church and it's like everyone's different than you, they might say they love having you there, but if they never talk or engage or think or pray about the issues that are personal to you, you're going to like, do I really belong here? Do they really care about me here? And, and what I'm suggesting to you, um, don't just desire that the surface expression would look diverse, but engage in some of the issues that are relevant to people of different backgrounds and cultures and see what makes people weep, see what makes people have joy, see what different cultures are wrestling with. And, and I'm not saying you have to know everything going on out there, but I think it's naive to say that we want to be multicultural and that we don't engage in the things that people are wrestling with. And um, I, I want to be careful not to say there's a correlation, but I do believe there's been an increase in different people groups in our church who honestly, they're still minorities, but they feel like it's become a safe space for them to be in. Uh, that they're not, they're, they might be a minority number-wise, but we're going to try to walk together. And it's not just my issues, but everyone shares one another's burdens. Um, so you all disheartened now. You're like, okay, well, let's not do that because that sounds all really hard. Um, it's not easy, but I do believe it can be beautiful because um, I think in this journey together, um, we experience the wonder of being different people who worship God. And when we are able to represent different diversity, this is ultimately a matter of God's glory and his name. So this is pretty important, guys. Um, I think as Christians, we have to be very clear about talking of issues, not just about diversity, but issues of racism. Because we can't let people hijack the conversation. So when we look at our larger culture, when most non-church people, when they think about evangelical Christians, they picture CNN and like wacko white supremacists. Whether fair or not, 
That's the picture that most people have of evangelical Christians. Y'all bunch of far-right, alt-right, crazy flag-worshiping weirdos. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, We have to be very clear that's not the only way. We are people who actually believe that God desires people, different people to come together. And even a couple years ago, I used to think I'm paranoid when I talk about things like white supremacy. It's pretty real. <laughs> more and more, you don't even have people apologizing about talking about like separating peoples and it's okay to keep some people out and maybe we should all have our own neighborhoods. I mean, like, I'm, I'm like, what the heck is going on? It's a little frightening. And I think in the midst of that kind of culture, the church has to stand up and say, that's demonic, that's evil, that's sinful. So gathering together as diverse peoples, this is not some politically correct thing. It is very much for us to demonstrate the redemptive power of God. Amen? This is not just about a church growth strategy or it's about making people feel more comfortable. This is ultimately about us reflecting to our world, who do we believe God to be? Is he a God that loves white people more? And that's, I hope that sounds ridiculous to us here, but there's a lot of people they believe that, that God somehow loves white people more. That even feels stupid coming out of my mouth, but we need to repudiate that with every ounce of energy we have and say, no, actually God is honored when we are gathered like this and we've got a lot of different people here and we're a mosaic of God's glory. Can you believe how God created everyone in all of this diversity? Wow. And then through Christ's work, he's brought us together as one. And it really... Um, I joke about our church sometimes when the weather's nice. I love it when people are leaving worship and just people stream out after worship and like someone walking or driving by, like they look confused, right? They look over and they see all these different people. They're like, what the heck's going on there, right? Like what what are all these people? Um, More and more, as our church has different people who you really don't know why they would be together, it's kind of strange looking. It is. Sometimes I just stop in the middle of worship. I say, yo, can y'all just look around? Isn't this weird? Isn't this weird that you're spending time together and worshiping God? And I, one pastor friend of mine said, the only places that you see that kind of crazy diversity, I guess sports, but either drugs or Jesus, right? <laughs> like, the, a lot of drugs or Jesus. You just see very, um, hopefully it's not too much of the drugs end, but we want to be able to proclaim the power of this God who can bring together people who really have no other reason to be together other than the work of Jesus Christ. And we just give God more props in the midst of that. Amen? Amen. Well, that's all I got, but um, I don't know how much, Pastor, how much time we have if you guys want to ask questions or anything. Yeah. Does anyone have any particular questions that you feel is good or helpful for the group? Yeah. Yeah, well, my name is Shane. So uh, my question is, I guess, how do you still, in your church, you know, keep your own culture, you know, yeah. Great question is how do you keep your own culture even in the midst of trying to welcome in others? And um, I wasn't going to go into this, but since you asked, I'm going to I'm going to get into a little bit. This has been a big journey for me because I was gung ho that diversity guy. I was probably a little too gung ho looking at churches that were mono ethnic and saying, "Yeah, y'all." I won't say you're sinful, but there might be some disobedience there, selfish. Kind of. But God's brought me kind of full circle because um, what I realized is my desire for multiculturalism was sometimes driven by good things, but also by my own shame. And particularly as an Asian American, this is really embarrassing to talk about now. When we first started the church, 
at the beginning, we didn't have my name or face anywhere on the website for like two years. Here's why, because I was afraid that we would just draw Asian people and I wanted so desperately to be a diverse church. Or I didn't want people to, th and I still have sometimes people assume that I lead an Asian church because I'm Asian. I didn't want that. And, and there's some good things about that, but the more we've done this, I, I had to recognize, you know, there's sometimes some shame there when we talk about the multicultural church. And particularly what I had to discover, um, at least for Asian peoples, when we talk about diversity, we got to be kind of careful because we don't want it to be that we need other people to come because somehow who we are is not good enough. And Asian peoples are the only folks I know who like apologize for who they are when it comes to church. It's like, oh, we're too Asian. Oh, we're too Korean. I'm like, well, maybe, and let that spur you on to good growth. But I think if we're not careful, it can lead to deeper shame. So all to say, uh, especially for your question, at our church, we actually talk very clearly about our distinctives. Like we don't talk, uh, that's why we don't use that. If you want to get me mad, just talk about colorblind kind of idea. And you know, that's where I get the hate mail, right? We need to be colorblind. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> because I think the goal is not to erase all the distinctives who we are. Actually, the glory is in all the unique things that we bring in, the things that particularly if, if you have different cultures, stuff that no one else could bring in, like thinking through the lens. Man, the reason that God has me here is I'm able to bring a perspective and beauty that maybe is not here without me here. So we need me here. We need more people like me here. This is great. Um, so what we try to do, for a while when I preached, for instance, in the beginning, I used to almost be kind of like bland, not, I yelled a lot still, but I mean like more, not talk about my Asian-ness too much, but now I'm all the time talking about like stories of being Korean, stories of being, because what my mentality, especially for a white folk, I'm like, you've never been in your life history in this country learning from other people. So now you're going to learn a little bit. You're going to learn about other peoples. And we have people from Africa. We have, man, we had um, a woman in our church this past year came in and she uh, got baptized and she received Christ and she shared a story that if her family found out she was from a Middle East country, if her family found out she was following Christ, she's dead. Like literally. Like, so it's powerful when we share more and more different people's cultural stories and we're not watering down who we are. If anything, we're accentuating it and redeeming it. So rather than making it an idol, because I think there is a subtle difference there. Like, we can be defined by that as a church, or we can say this glorifies God actually more when we redeem our different uniqueness and bring it all together in this beautiful thing called the church. Does that help? Let's see. Sorry, I get passionate when I talk about this. Uh, this is a seminar. I'm not supposed to yell, right? I'm supposed to be, like, pro professorial, but I'm sorry. I, I just yell. Any other questions? Well, I can definitely... Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, actually, for me, it was more relational. It was more just uh, different pastors than you. Um, I, my goal was I just need more. I mean, I was basically preaching to myself. You know, I can't talk about diversity and all these things. Who am I normally just walking with? Because all my pastor friends, they were all Korean. 
you know, even though I was doing different ministry, I was like, I want some different friends. I want some. So I would just contact people and say, hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you coffee? I'd love to hear your story. And then from there, things naturally would turn to, hey, you know, man, we just love being together. What would it look like for our churches to get together and do a conference together, or do worship together? So I think it comes, it has to start from relationship as much as possible. Um, but I would suggest it also has to come from submitting yourselves. Um, so I'll, I'll be, <laughs> so in our church, I think particularly because of our neighborhood, I, I shared a little bit of the, the white heritage of our neighborhood. Intentionally, when I had the choice to bring a guest preacher into our church, I would bring in some of my friends who were, Af- I know that sounds like affirmative action, but it's not, it's a, there's purpose, who are African American, because for a lot of people from our neighborhood, especially our white folks, they had, this is just, it boggles my mind, they never associated African-American peoples with like intelligent, sharp, brilliant scholars of the word. And that's just because of some of the narrow perspective they had in our neighborhood. But when, when we would bring in folks who are like powerful um, servants of God, who are, who are gifted leaders, and it's just like solid, like it just, it's a way to be able to celebrate the different ways that God has created people. And honestly, it forces our church to submit under the teaching and leadership of someone of a different culture. And um, so there's a cost. There is a cost. So in our church, we have had some people leave because they're angry that I talk about things like this. Um, Some of our people from our neighborhood, it's just hard for them to understand when I talk about um, white supremacy. And they they said, there's like rumors that I hate white people. I'm like, what are you talking? I love white people. How can I pass to my church if I hate white people? I love white people. <laughs> I guess if I have to say that too much, it doesn't sound like I really love I do, though. I really do. Um, but there is a cost, because when you engage in issues of justice, some people get mad. When you shake the status quo, some people will get mad. So we've had to broach that kind of gently, because we do want people in the neighborhood to continue to come to church. But there's like a mixing of those different things. So, but I would say, sorry, getting off the tangent. Uh, a lot of it's relationally based, really relationally based. Cool. Well, I'm around if you want to talk more specifically, personally, we would love to do that. I've already been enjoying really talking to you guys this year. It's great. Just, uh, I forgot who I'm supposed to eat dinner with later, but uh, it's, it's fun. All right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> y'all look alike, right? That's why. <laughs> no. Well, this has been, even in our church, though, we, um, some of our Asian women joke that for some of our non-Asians, it's a real cultural experience being in a church with other Asians because they'll like mix up people still and they've known them for years and they think they're the same person. It's, I mean, it's just, but that's part of like the, the real stuff. Maybe. But, yeah, so. 